Good morning. I see that all of you got into bed before midnight and are here bright and early. I hit the bed about 9.30. <laughs> so it's a pleasure to be asked to preach. And we have been exposed to such mighty preaching and powerful and mighty word of God that it's an honor and a blessing and a privilege to be here this morning before you. Join me as we go into prayer. Father, I just pray and ask that these words that you laid on my heart would go forth and they would transform and transcend the words themselves and speak to the hearts of the believers who are here, that we would hear your word and be conformed by them. And we are blessed to be here on the first day of the year to hear your words and to sing your praises. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. A few years ago, Barbara Taylor and her husband were exploring the dunes, a Cumberland land, island just off the main line, land of South Georgia, when they came upon a huge loggernet turtle who was barely alive and her shell was hot to the touch. They found her where she had given up, half cooked by the sun, but still able to look up when they looked at her. Barbara buried her in the cool sand as her husband ran to the ranger station and about an hour later, she was on her back with chains tied around her front legs and being dragged behind a jeep toward the ocean. The dunes were deep and her mouth filled with sand as she went. Finally, the jeep stopped by the edge of the ocean and they turned her over and they waited. The waves began to break over her. Finally, the waves got deep enough that she was able to get a foothold and try her back flippers. And with the next wave, she pushed into the sea that was her home. They knew what had happened. She had come ashore during the night and had laid her eggs. And when she had finished, she looked around for the brightest horizon to lead her back to the sea. But unfortunately, she took the distant city lights for the moon's reflection off the ocean, and she went the wrong way. Judging by her tracks, she dragged herself along into her flippers, got buried in the sand, and there she laid, being baked by the hot sun. The brightest light is not always the safest path. The world is seductive, and like the fisherman's lure, it may be the brightest object in sight. This is the scenario that was facing the early church that Jude is writing to. They were following the brightest light. He started to write a letter to encourage them in their common salvation, but hearing their situation, he felt compelled to write a different letter of stern admonishment. Certain people have snuck into their church quietly, under the radar, unnoticed, who were turning the grace of Jesus Christ into sensuality and thereby denying our Lord and Master Jesus. He both scolded them 
and pleaded with them, you should know that these people that you have welcomed into your church were long ago destined for judgment. You have seen, you have been taught through scripture about this condemnation, but that you believe that neither they nor you will face judgment. Jude reminded them about what scripture said. You knew all of these things at one time. Remember, God led the Israelites out of Egypt, and when they did not believe, he destroyed them. Even the angels in heaven are not immune from God's judgment, leaving their own position and abandoning the dwelling place. He kept them in darkness and are being held in eternal change until judgment day. Woe to them. They are following the brightest lights in the sky and abandoning their faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Jude is talking about. It's a message for today in our church and our world. In verse 3 of Jude, it's the heart of Jude. He appeals to them, lamenting in tears, contend for the faith that was once given to you, that was entrusted to you. Fight for it. Lamenting in tears. Do not let go of it. If verse 3 is the heart of the book, then verse 20 and 21 is the blood. They are the bookends of Jude. At the beginning, verse 3, contend for the faith. Fight for the faith. You're in danger of losing it. And here at the end of the book, 20 and 21, Jude explains how to contend for the faith. You fight by not picking up weapons. You fight by keeping yourself in the Lord's love. Keeping yourself in God's love. It sounds so easy. That makes perfect sense. God's love is the heart of the gospel. I grew up in a church from the day I was born. Hearing about God's wrath and his anger, his condemnation and his judgment. And all of those are true. But they are balanced with love. And one day and later in life, I heard that God loved me. And that changed my life. And I began responding to God's love. And it's so easy to do so. You've heard these verses. And they are all true. For God so loved the world. God is love. David sings, you love. Lord reaches to the heavens. The Bible is full of God's love. And as it rings through all through scripture, it dwells in us. We are commanded to love one another, to love our enemies, to love the, to love the aliens that we, that were once, as we were once in Egypt. How will they know that we are Christians? By our love. Fight for the faith by keeping yourself in the love of God. Of course, when Jews uses that phrase, the love of God, he both means the love that God has for us. 
and the love that we have for God includes both things. God's love for us and our love for him. However, there's a rub. The church that Jude was writing to had misplaced God's love. They accepted and allowed into their church community ungodly people who abused that love. Moreover, moreover over, members of the church were allowing it to continue among them. And they were denying Jesus as they turned the grace of God and his goodwill into sensuality. They were following the brightest light in the sky and it was leading to judgment. Does this remind you of any churches today? The danger, I have to say, as a qualification, I don't see that in our church here today. We are under good shepherding by our pastors. We're a young church and we're a growing church. Nevertheless, this is the time to listen, to be aware, to be alert, to guard ourselves. This is the time to put on the whole armor of God. It's when there's peace and we can hear the word. When it's quiet on the Western Front, it's when the enemy attacks. It's an ongoing danger for the church, every church, any church. Any church that Satan hates is under danger. And if the Holy Spirit would not have inspired the book of Jude to be included in our Bible if it wasn't a continuing danger for churches through the ages. This message rings true 2,000 years ago as it does today. This message is contemporary. Groups of people are saying that God loves everybody exactly as they are. So everybody can stay exactly as they are, doing all the things that they want to do because God is so full of generosity that he wants them to stay as they are. Find people like that today and you have found the people that God, or Jude, is writing about. Furthermore, as the church... And as the people of God, we are in danger of following the same path. It is the brightest light in the sky. It's in the newspapers and the TV and on the internet and social media. The world is bombarded by the message that love God loves all people as they are. You don't need to change. Instead of following the biblical word of God, they are following the beetle word of John Lennon that says, all we need is love. And if you love, you will accept. But by doing so, you deny the cross and turn grace into sensuality. God does love us as we are. Like the song that I sang to so many altar calls growing up, just as I am, without one plea. But we should not stop there. The next line, but that thy blood was shed for me. The church is under attack today. And this is the message of Jude. And as members of a church, 
we are pressured to conform by accepting all just as they are without the preaching of the transforming power of the cross to conform people into the image of God. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians verse, or chapter 3, Yet today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are turning as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That is, from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God loves us as we are. He doesn't leave us there. He loves us, and he changes us into his glory upon glory upon glory. By the cross, he frees us and makes things right and transforms us into the very image of glory to glory. The church alone holds the transforming power of the cross that frees people from their sins and makes them right. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That is the freedom of loving God and the freedom of having God love you in return. Let us not be pressured to dumb down the gospel, to make it palatable to swallow. It is foolishness to the world. If being accepted is all there is, then the cross is empty, the blood powerless, and grace void. The message is the same today, and we have a duty as a church, an obligation, a blessing. We are commanded to fight for the faith today more than ever. We should make this our New Year's resolution as we hear through this next year the gospel being preached here. Contend for the faith. Stay in God's love. So how does the church fight for the faith? Well, we'll look at verses 20 and 21. And this is my entire sermon. If you take this away, you'll have everything I'm going to say. But you, dear friends, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. This is a complex verse. Let's unpack it. First, there's only one verb in this passage. It's the verb keep. Keep yourself is an imperative. It is a command. Keep yourself. The other three words, building, praying, and waiting, they're participles that support this verb. They are the means. They are the instrument that tells us how we are to keep ourselves in God's love. We keep ourselves in God's love by building ourselves up on our most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, and by waiting expectantly 
for the mercy of our Lord Jesus for eternal life. It is what we must do to keep ourselves in God's love. The love of God is not any old love. It is not emotionalism and sentimentalism. God defines how, we, how he will be loved. And God defines how we will love him. We must do these things to remain in God's love and not be seduced to follow the brightest lights that are before us. First, building ourselves up in the most holy faith. Here Jude is speaking of the holy faith. It is holy because it was what God has given us. But he is not talking about our personal trust in Jesus, as important as that is. Our personal trust can wave day, on, day in and day out, up one day and down the other. And that's important, though, to trust in Jesus personally. But what he is talking here about, he's referring to the faith. It is a noun, not a verb. It is the body of teaching, the doctrines of the church. And it fits very well with the beginning bookend of verse 3, where he exhorts believers to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to the believer. The faith, holy, given by God, is a metaphor of building on something. The foundation in this instance is to build on your the most, the most holy faith. Believers are to build on the church's doctrinal foundation in order to preserve themselves in God's love. Believers remain in God's love by continuing to grow in their understanding of the gospel, the teaching that was handed to them on the day of their conversion. We grow on it by staying in the teaching of the church. If you believe the news and the polls, the Christian church is dying. The nuns, those who have no religion, are rising and people are leaving. According to the polls, 70% of Christian youth leave the church by their mid-20s, abandoning. Whether you believe this or not doesn't matter. Polls come and go. God never instructed us to seek the majority opinion. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. The question is, can you be a Christian and not go to church? Many who are leaving says, of course, I have the Bible, I have the internet, I have access to preaching and teaching on the... Yes, of course. Of course, I'm talking about people, not talking about people like my mom that are in assisted living or nursing care, hospitals that cannot attend church. Of course, people, some people just can't make it. They'd like to, but they can't. But for everyone who can and doesn't, Joe, Joe, uh, Joe, uh, Jude is speaking 
Now it's true that not everyone who comes to church is a true believer. However, can you be a believer and not go to church? Well, only God can answer that question. Only God knows who belongs to him and who doesn't belong to him. However, it is difficult to grow in God's love, to keep in God's love without the body around you. This is what Jude is saying. They are being drawn away, deceived, and they don't even know it. They are not fighting for the faith, and they are allowing ungodly people to teach them and to come into the church. So can you be a Christian and not go to church? Well, just like Velveeta is cheese-like food, you can be Christian-like by not attending church. However, what Jude is saying is that if you want to keep yourself in God's love, you must immerse yourself in the community of where God's love is. Of course, that doesn't mean every church on the block that opens its doors is that. And that's what Jesus is descri- or Jude is describing here. The community is keeping themselves in, God, in God's love and fighting for the faith. And I get it, it's hard to go to church sometimes. There's money problems and people conflicts, the wrong colored carpet. (laughs) One of the churches that Jenny and I was attending turned on us as a pastor, and it can be ugly. And I still bristle at times. After that, you just want to run from the church. You want to run to the brightest light in the sky. Many here have faced that same conflict in our church, including Josh and Aaron. But still, we seek the community of the faith, the teaching of right doctrine, the encouraging of each other. Why do you think the pastors spend so much time to putting together different opportunities for us to come to church? Not only on a Sunday morning, but Wednesday, Friday lunch, to stay in the community of faith so that we can stay in the love of God, so that we can know God's love for us and we can love God in return. So we stand with each other. We keep each other in the love of God, protect each other. If we do not attend church regularly, our love for God evaporates and we won't even know what's happening. Second, the means of keeping, the f- of keeping in God's love is keeping the faith, is to pray in the Spirit. Believers cannot keep themselves in God's love without depending on the Spirit and petitioning Him in prayer. Love for God cannot be sustained without a relationship with him, without a relationship that is nurtured by prayer. To pray in the Holy Spirit is when we are moved by divine inspiration to ask for heavenly things and help that we might receive God's goodness for us. 
are things that we cannot attain on our own. One of the most important works of the Spirit is to call out prayer from the depth of our hearts. Even if, as in this letter, it is a prayer of lament, as Jude cries, contend for the faith, weeping for his people, the teaching of the church, the prayer of protection for the church. It is God's lament that we share with him as we look on with sorrow at human weakness and arrogance that is invading the church today. It is God's protective power and prayer that we draw down from heaven as we pray in his spirit, even in the midst of turmoil, the depth of our heart, we pray as we groan. We don't know what we want to say, but the spirit prays in us. In verse 20 and 21, we see the prayers that I just mentioned here where we pray for ourselves. It is in verse 22 and 23 that we pray for others who are being swayed by false teachers. And in verse 24 and verse 25, we praise God, whom even in the midst of danger can keep us from stumbling. I'm not going to go over those verses here today. That is your homework that I am giving you to read those verses today, this afternoon for yourselves. And if you get home and you can't remember those verses, read the whole chapter. It's only 25 verses. The last five verses are how we should pray. The third means of keeping, God, keeping in God's love is waiting for mercy. Why did Jude speak here of mercy? Probably he thought that believers needed mercy more than justice on the last day when we meet Jesus Christ. Jude clearly taught that believers must remain in God's love and to the end to avoid apostasy. He did not believe, however, that believers would ever be perfect in this world and therefore we need Christ's mercy on the last day. Jude emphasizes that believers remain in God's love by waiting for Christ's return with joyous expectation. Notice though that mercy is not the same as abusing grace. It is not turning it into sensuality. It's not that we can do anything we want because God in the end will forgive us. Not everything goes. Judgment is promised. Christians cannot remain in God's love if they immerse themselves in the world and cease to long for their future perfection before God. One of the means by which we continue in God's love is if we continue to long for the day when Jesus Christ will show us his mercy. It's like longing to see your spouse after a long day and you come home from, they come home from work and you long to see them. We have to have that expectation 
so that we, he can grant us the gift of eternal life and that we will be perfected forever. If we take our eyes off of this future hope, we will not find the love of God and it will slowly evaporate. And it will be evident at the end times that our real love was for this world. When I was training to be a pilot, part of the training was to go under the hood for instrumental, instrument flight training. The student is placed under a hood that's over their head so they can't see outside the airplane and they can only see their instrument panel. The instructor takes over the controls of the plane and they fly all over the sky, up and down, left and right, until the student is completely disorientated. Then they turn the controls back over to the blinded student. The first time that happened to me, my head was pressed up against the side window as I experienced the G-forces of a sharp downward turn to the left. I thought we were going to crash. I literally could not lift my head off the glass. We were in a sharp turn. Then the instructor calmly told me, look at your instruments. The altitude was stable. The wings level, airspeed staying the same. I didn't believe it. My head was still pressed up against the glass. I felt those G-forces. I could not move my head. He lifted the visor up and I saw the horizon and everything calmed down and I slowly lift my head off the glass, embarrassed, ashamed. My senses were wrong. The instruments were right. Reality was we were flying. He lowered the visor and away we went again, up and down and around, inside and out. But I was ready this time. It was, I was flying straight and level. Nothing bothered me. And he says, look at your instruments. We were in a steep climb to the right. Airspeed was dropping. Wings were tilted. And if I didn't do something soon, I was going to stall and head into a spin. The hardest thing I ever had to do was turn that yoke to the left, apply a little left rudder, push the yoke down and bring the wings level and bring the nose down and fly straight and level by the instruments. And every inclination in me told me I had just turned the airplane into the ground. I could not believe it. I was sick again. My hands were shaking. I was sweating. The instruments said I was flying straight and level. Everything in me, no. He lifted the visor again. The horizon. As a pilot, you have to learn to trust your instrument and not your senses. The senses are wrong. Pilots crash, even military pilots, when they fail to constantly scan the, the, the instruments. This happened with John Kennedy Jr. as he was flying into Martha's Vineyard the night. He flew straight into the ocean, talking, laughing, joking with his family because he didn't look at the instruments. 
He saw the distant city lights. It's a known factor. It's so dangerous flying over the water. His mind told them those were stars. And where do stars belong? Overhead. It's documented. He got the stars overhead and flew the plane straight into the water. It's very comfortable to trust our senses in the church. It feels so right to go along. We want to accept it. It's the brightest light. It feels right. Everyone loves us. We love everybody. God is telling the church. He's warning us through Jude. Things are good. And we have a good church. Always be watching your instruments. Scan them. In the church, what are the instruments? The teachings, the doctrines. They are saying, stay in God's love. Love him and be loved by him, but not any old way. The way God tells us to love him. By building ourselves up on the most holy faith of attending church and listening to good doctrinal teaching. Praise God, we have that. By praying in the Holy Spirit daily in church, prayer is one of the first things to go as you walk away from God's love. It's easy to read the Bible. It can be hard to pray, to take that time to close the door and to say, Lord, bring me into your presence, to pray in the Holy Spirit to want to be taught, spend time with the Holy Spirit, with God, with Jesus Christ, and to wait expectantly for the mercy, not judgment, for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life, waiting expectantly, just knowing he's coming, knowing he will bring us into his presence. It's like waiting for your, the wedding day. Great expectation can't wait for it, the mercy of our God. These are the words that I believe God is speaking to us today, to the church. And I feel blessed that we have a church. But let, let does this, let us though, continue to contend to fight and to take this message to the world. Let us pray for the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. We, are, we repent and we are sorry and we ask for forgiveness of those times that we do follow the brightest lights in the skies. We ask for forgiveness for not always contending to fight, not always staying in your love. And as a father, you love us as children. And so you had given us a message. You have given us the doctrine. You have given us the instruments that we are to judge our place in your love. We pray that these would change our heart. They would continue to hear them. And we pray that you do forgive us and we have forgiven us. And we continue in your grace, not abusing it, but rejoicing in it. That we can honor you by staying in your love. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.